Hey fellow tennis nerds, I'm here with my buddy Amos. Uh, he's also an osteopath and he arranges my uh, weak body into parts where it actually works on the tennis court so I avoid injury. Uh, he's been helping me with my tennis elbow, previous problems, forearm stiffness, now it's my shoulder and uh, yeah I'm feeling pretty great now playing a lot and enjoying it and he's a very skilled guy, he knows a lot about these types of injuries so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Also a more open string pattern will uh, allow for more string movement which will yeah, increase yeah, your cool. spin potential. Um, so when it comes to strings you if you're playing with plenty of top spin you'd want obviously to use a polyester string of some kind to get snapback when the strings move and snapback into place. It's hard to say whether shaped or twisted polys offer better spin potential than round ones. That's a debated topic. Some strings have a coating on them to help the strings move more. The movement is the important part. The downside of those strings is that the most coating wears off the string would have the same properties anymore. So those are some things around spin to consider. Not really uh, athletes coming with different problems, but yeah, most are office based. Ah, okay. So just sitting down, not doing much, maybe having a bad diet, probably, I guess. Yes, contributing definitely a bad diet. Um, some of their deaths might not be ergonomically assessed, especially coming from a time where many people spent a significant amount of time at home with the COVID situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course, you make do when you're at home. Uh, with whatever you've got, table, chairs, and so it wasn't the best. Sometimes even, uh, you know, working from the bed itself. Um, yeah, so people are in, we're in the sofa and then their kids are coming. And, yeah. you know, I've been on these Zoom calls when, like, there's one kid running the other way and one kid running and you're in the middle of a meeting and exactly. it's kind of a struggle, right, yeah. to be in a good position. Very much so. I'm coming from a sports background. Uh, what do you see? Do you have a lot of people like playing tennis coming to you here in Malta? Yes, uh, so there's been a, a surge of uh, people taking up sporting activities um, and of course with Malta having a good good weather then yeah. uh, outdoor sports are preferred such as tennis so there is a rise definitely. Um, so I have a few that come for tennis um, and other sports, athletics, yeah. football, etc. That's good, that's good. So. And what and the most common among athletes is, I mean, tennis is very specific around the tennis elbow, but I guess from other sports you see uh, kind of what what are the typical problems you see? Um, of course, is as you said, it's dependent upon the sport that that uh, presents. Uh, but usually, um, if we're dealing with kind of football, we're talking about knees, mm. ankles, into the uh, back, sometimes neck, but mostly it's uh, lower body yeah. uh, issues. Um, again, tennis, you said around uh, the wrist, arms, uh, people uh, come forth with athletics. It's mostly the hamstrings, back issues where a lot of force is uh, put through those areas. But what is really tennis elbow? Like people feel a, a certain pain somewhere in this region, but what is it really? So really it's inflammation. Mm. Inflammation of uh, a certain part of the arm, the outside arm. So. Its full anatomical name is uh, lateral epicondylitis. That's its proper scientific name. Um, and uh, really you get a lot of inflammation around that area. And then sometimes it can be just pain. Sometimes it can be uh, when you're stretching, but it's really a repetitive strain. Overuse it, yeah, kind exactly, of thing. Exactly, yeah. overuse in the lateral aspect of the, of the, of the arm. Something we talk about a lot uh, as gearheads is, is that, you know, you're playing with a very stiff string, uh, you're playing with a stiff racket, like there's a lot of vibrations coming down to 
starting in the hand like that's the thing so there, there are many rackets are, are kind of hollow in the handle uh, although they're trying to kind of add some dampening rubber and stuff in the handle so that you actually stop some of the vibrations already in the handle of the racket but then they, they go to the arm here and and what happens then like okay they travel up the the elbow but let's say you're you're contacting the ball late for example mm -hmm. where is the problem in that and why does that affect you negatively compared to people that have maybe have better technique where they actually contact the ball a little bit more through or in front um so uh, again it's it's related to really the physics of a sport um and forces always like to travel in a straight line oh, yeah. um, when you hit the ball late you're creating an angle and your your body has to compensate for that angle mm -hmm. um, and if you hit it too late again you're you're you have to compensate for the the, the angle. For the force. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ideally you want to hit the, the, the ball perpendicular to the racket. That would mean that the force travels directly from the strings mm -hmm. through the ball and in the direction that you want it to go. Okay. Anything around that where you have miss hitting or hitting it too early, too late, um, or hitting the ball not in the center of the racket, then that creates uh, all types of different problems. Torque, uh, torque torsion, uh, rotation. Yeah. And then that then impacts the wrist and then into the arm. Yeah, so having a kind of a clean technique or, or a stroke where you kind of go through the ball is, is generally preferred. I mean, you play squash on a pretty high level yourself. Like, what do you see is, are the, issue, the kind of different issues between squash and tennis? Uh, you had wrist problems yourself. Like, what, where does yes. that kind of, is that the most common problem for squash players? Um, squash players, actually, most problems occur around the knees. So mm -hmm. knees and hips. Um, I've seen many of my fellow squash um, players who eventually stop the game because of knee, hips, lower back, um, surgeries, etc. Uh, my particular problem was a wrist problem. Um, I overstretched. I, it was poor technique, um, which we're talking about here. And um, it, it, yeah, it just was very bad. Mm. Um, and I strained my, my wrist. So you bent it in some way yeah, during yeah. the contact. Yes, kind exactly. Of, yeah. um, so overuse, let's say you're hitting the ball over and over again, whether it's squash, tennis or whatever, uh, that kind of brings, you know, inflammation, growing inflammation in a problem. And then you can have like an acute, I guess, an injury at some point because it's like a build-up yeah, thing, exactly. right? Yes. So often um, you get uh, repetitive warning signs ah, okay. in the body. Or, and that might be inflammation or tension in the body. And uh, if you ignore those warning signs, um, unfortunately, often, eventually, your body eventually snaps. So you should listen to your pain. That's generally the, the advice. Yeah, yep. take Red it seriously. Yep. So let's say you, you have a problem, you're, you're feeling stiffness or pain when you're playing tennis. What should you do after that? Like, are you going to see this as a, something that will go away? Should you seek treatment or um, what should be your kind of plan? De definitely to seek some type of advice, medical advice, which goes beyond the confines of Wikipedia. Um, also, uh, important to be preemptive. So yep. warm up before you, you, you play the sport and also warm down. So these are things that can be done to try and mitigate mm -hmm. something arising in the first place. And is it if, let's say, you're starting to feel a niggle and if you start to take action, probably you can kind of stop it or at least dampen it. But let's say you have a, already a problem. How long does it take for it to go away and what do you need to do for it to actually 
for example, tennis elbow, and you, you've been suffering for a little while, and then you, you should you pause or should you seek a, a professional like yourself? What, what should so be the terms, kind of? Definitely to address it. Yeah. That's the first thing is to address it. Normally, uh, tennis elbow, if addressed correctly, um, would take around about five to six weeks. Okay. Um, not if, not more, bad, yeah. Yeah. if not more. If not right. more. If it depends again on how you um, you change your the way that you play tennis. Yeah. So, for example, I would always suggest reducing the time you play tennis. Not necessarily to stop, mm. but implement. Uh, exercises, stretching, warming up, warm down, and also uh, try to change the way that you play tennis. Maybe seek advice with regards to the stringing, uh, the racket setup, um, in terms technique, of yeah. exactly technique from a professional coach. So seek advice in all spheres. Yeah. Now I see a lot of like players, and I'm sure you do too, like that, you know, they have their, these kind of elbow braces mm. and they're everywhere. You know, usually older men uh, that hit the ball a bit like a, you know, like this. And it's a short swing and it looks like they, they're so tense, which is generally an advice you shouldn't do. Or you shouldn't create a racket too tight. Maybe it shouldn't be too loose, but too, not too tight for sure. Does those elbow braces help? And does this not, is this not a situation where you should actually like have a program for it and not just trust this device on your arm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think that uh, the body has been designed um, to take care of itself. Yeah. Um, and if you use an elbow brace, ensure that somebody who knows what they're talking about has instructed you to do so, uh, first and foremost. So some people just take the matters into their own hands, which is why I spoke about making sure that Wikipedia isn't your first port of call. Yeah. Um, and they self-diagnose and then self-implement a device such mm. as uh, an elbow brace. Um, and initially it might feel good. It yeah. might feel that the problem is being solved, mm. but really it's a, a plaster over a gaping wound. Yeah. Um, and it really needs to be uh, looked at professionally. Yeah. And um, you're, yeah, you're kind of masking the pain. And I see that like, you know, I talk to pro players, I talk to recreational players, some like, oh, I use painkillers every, for every match. I mean, I, I just had a, a call with a professional tennis player. They all, several of them take painkillers which is not a good way to approach it i would assume um but also i think players use these creams and we talked about that last time a little bit that you know these heat creams is something you shouldn't really go to as the first port of call no 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 um and we gave the example of when we see the footballers that we all love uh, ronaldo ronaldinho yeah. uh, back in his day um and of course Lionel messi at yeah. present um, when they get injured, you never see anybody running on and putting a hot water bottle or tiger balm or deep heat onto the leg yeah. or wherever they're injured. They always come first and put ice. Mm. So that's always, again, a little nugget that if you do have an injury, first put ice. Yeah, it's number one. And I try to use kind of after a training session... Uh, like I, I, this weekend I had two, two hour something tennis sessions and then we did like, you know, ice bath, sauna, ice bath, sauna, ice bath, sauna. Is that something you'd recommend that that's, I mean, people generally might not have the option to go to an ice bath, but you can ice your, your, if you have any kind of pain, you know, uh, and you see tennis players also go into these cryotherapy tanks or just lay in a, you know, bathtub full of ice. Absolutely. Um, uh, intense. Um, not a pleasant experience all the no. time, um, but essential. Yeah. 
for rehabilitation, for rejuvenation of the body. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, brilliant technique. Contrast bathing, brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I, I also feel like super relaxed afterwards. So like, I am, I'm very averse to cold water. Like I don't even like a cold shower. So the first time I did ice bath was like, oh, this is, you know, it's like a nightmare. But then like when you learn the breathing, like the kind of deep Wim Hof style breathing, you, you it doesn't like now I, I do longer ice baths than the, you know, the guys who've been doing it for years. You know, I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to deal with this. Now you get over the, the fear. Sauna is not as much of a problem. It's pretty, you know, sweating. We've all done that. We live in Malta, so we know what that is. Uh, but then the ice bath can be quite a sharp experience, but can gradually, you know, get 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then you get into it. I hope you should, obviously you should be a bit careful not to like do like a half an hour and then yeah. <laughs> die in there. But And I, but, I think, yeah. I think, I think you're, you're right. It, it needs to be uh, incremental, gradual, yeah. um, especially with the ice. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to plunge directly in whole body like the heart yeah. can be shocked so it, and, and then it's no 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 it's yeah exactly that's a very good point yeah. yeah i guess it's with everything right you don't want to shock and surprise your body you want your body to gradually get used to something yeah. right always yeah shock is not always good or generally not good um are there any other types of therapy like when you approach i mean i really liked when working with you is that you seem to always identify where the root cause is. And that's something I really appreciate. I've been going to many, many, you know, you know, therapists, physiotherapists, a few osteopaths, and I really found that you're the one who's really solving the problem at the root, which is, which is the main uh, thing you should do. Uh, but you need some real skills for that. You need to really understand the whole thing. How do you really approach when you get a patient? What's like the key things you think about when you have a, like a new client that you need to to kind of investigate? How do you see that uh, communication? Uh, so the first thing that I uh, focus on when I have a new patient is the case history. No. The case history is the uh, patient's story in written form, at least for, for my eyes. So that's essential. Mm. Uh, getting that uh, completely and, and, and well done allows you to avoid many pit pitfalls yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily be able to avoid if you were going in the dark. So that's the first thing that I... So I, like an interview kind of, yeah. 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 With questions and it allows the, the patient to talk mm. and you can uh, get so much information by allowing individuals to talk. So that's most probably the, the key feature of my, uh, my practice that I like to maintain mm. is allowing the patient to talk and listening mm. more than talking. Yeah, um, that's always important, yeah. The next thing I uh, most probably, uh, which is also very important, is to realize that the patient knows about the situation and I need to uh, list, like, just hear what they're saying. Mm. So as they then describe their, their symptoms, then I am able to work with the information that I'm given to start to develop a picture and then start to put the pieces together to the puzzle. Yeah. So it's very important. Case history taking, it's yeah. essential. It's kind of a, you know, two way dialogue, right? I mean, it's yes. a dialogue you have to, for you to help them, they need to provide good information. Like, let's say I come in and I lie about my injury or say it's not so bad mm. when it's really bad or maybe exaggerate the injury. Uh, you're not going to have enough or, or the right information to actually help address the problem. So it has to be, I guess, two-way in that way and where you can slot in to my issue. That's where, where you have to come in. And that's I really appreciated with, with you is that you, 
you seem to have a great understanding of where I'm coming from uh, and with my injuries or when it's starting because something I noticed and I think that's probably what you've seen as well it's like okay if I have problems with the wrist then I might have problems with the forearm and then the problem travels you know it, it travels maybe up to a shoulder and then maybe it started at the neck or it comes to the neck at some point uh, do you see that a lot where the injuries kind of have like you know as travels around your body a bit or at least from the arm up to the neck uh, very much so they they link a lot mm-hmm. uh, the, the body is is a unit um, and it's although it's comprised of different parts these parts all function together in order to allow us to do the activities that we want to do so uh, you know if you have a wrist injury it will impact the fingers it will impact the elbow it will impact your shoulder which then has these all these areas have to compensate for an injured wrist so they are all affected and then mm-hmm. it impacts the neck impacts the way that you turn your head in order to before you'd be able to just put your hand yeah uh, where you want to and get whatever you want but now you have to adapt so yeah it's very very often uh, especially if it's not addressed mm. it moves up slowly to other regions of the body yeah so if you just ignore it it's gonna obviously with everything like if you ignore a problem it kind of swells like it's like a you know bun in the oven you know it's like <laughs> swelling and yes. like a dough of bread, you know, and that's where you have to, I, I've tried over the years to address things as quickly as I can, you know, even if it seems like you're in hypochondriac at times, like you're, okay, you know, what is this, <laughs> you know, or I have this problem, should I be worried or should I take any action? Uh, it's worth the small kind of monetary investment or time investment because you have a peace of mind, right? That's always been my approach that, okay, I have a peace of mind, I know I need to do this things before I play tennis, you know, uh, like, a com- you know, get there on time, do a 10 minute, five, 10 minute warm up, instead of just going out and trying to bash balls, which like most club level players <laughs> do. I don't know if it's the same in squash, because you have to warm up the ball. So maybe <laughs> you warm up there. Uh, no, it's, it, I think it's in any sport. It's yeah. the same, as you said, um, many people like to focus on their, uh, their strengths, mm. because they look good when they're hitting the ball yeah, very yeah. cleanly with the forehand. Um, you know, we always want to, or seemingly want to exhibit Impress. our, yeah, exactly, our, our, our positive side. But that's actually really contrary to wisdom. Really, you want to focus on the area that is your weakest, mm. um, that often opponents target. And uh, when you're under stress physically, mentally, those are the areas that capitulate and break down first. Yeah. So it's best to warm up the areas that you actually very uncomfortable doing to avoid injury. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like, so let's say you have a stroke, like in the tennis, you have the backhand, maybe you know you're generally late there and you're hitting the ball a little bit off center. That's maybe the the kind of stroke you should warm up first. Like, or some, like, for example, I see a lot of players, they dive into playing points uh, or a set. And, you know, one of the key things in tennis where I see a lot of players and myself get some injuries or have maybe some niggles is, is the serve, right? The motion of the serve, you want to hit it as hard as you can. You are in control because you have the ball, you can throw it up. Uh, so you don't have anyone actually putting you off center. You can actually put in as much force as you want. And then people don't warm up and then, you know, injuries will come. Like, and I see, a, from what I see, a lot of players have like problems related to the serve, like with yeah. injuries. Yeah, zero to hero. Yeah, zero to hero. Yeah. Um, in serves, um, you really, it's, 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 from again static almost static to high intensity dynamic movements mm. uh, and so this is where of course you 
you have to be very uh, aware. Yeah. Very aware. The warm-up thing, um, should you do, you should obviously do a sh small jog or like in tennis you can do a few footwork exercises, but is there also, uh, you know, some stretching? Like what, should it be static stretching? People talk about dynamic stretching. What is preferred really? So the, 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 the this is, been a, was a contentious point for a while, but now uh, many people are looking at um, dynamic Dynamic uh, stretching, dynamic warm-up yeah. is the is the preferred way of doing things now. And not saying that a static stretching is bad or bad yeah. or isn't worth doing, but definitely dynamic. The so basically prepare the body for the activity that you want to do, mm. uh, which is very important. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of uh, tennis players now. They do this kind of fitness training uh, with uh, there's one called uh, Douglas. Uh, he's in Miami. He he does these like running on the beach with a racket. They look absolutely ridiculous. And he has like sometimes resistance bands holding them like this, and they have to do swing, air swinging around barefoot on a beach, which is not a bad space to be uh, for exercise, but it makes them look fools, you know? But, uh, but it, it's, it's, they are training the motions that they will perform on a tennis court. So it seems like that is the most logical and natural way of kind of approaching this, right? So. Yes. Uh, so I, I like that kind of approach that they, so, you know, like going to the gym and, and doing bench press as much as you can. It's not going to be the best way to improve your tennis, right? So yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, do you see people like overtrain at, at gyms and get injured? Is, does that ever happen? Oh, yes, for definite. Um, overtraining occurs wherever you, yeah. you, you have in life. I, I think most of the time uh, people do training which isn't necessarily beneficial on a day-to-day -day basis. Ah, okay. So you'd have somebody pushing, um, uh, you know, I had a gentleman who pushed a leg press 160 kilograms. Ugh, that's uh, a lot. And I, and I thought, well, for what purpose was that? Um, and it, it so happened to be to impress his friends. Ah, yep. <laughs> so, friends of girls, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily beneficial. So a lot of the time I try to just get people at least to rethink or have a, have a, have a look at why they're doing something. Why are you doing this? Yeah. What's your intention? What's your idea? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and uh, if you can understand what a patient's expectations are, then mm. you can help to balance those expectations against reality. Yeah. Um, at least. Yeah, it's true. And one thing I thought about, like I, I used to go before I, I became clever, I used to not go maybe so much to physiotherapy or to an osteopath like you who, who kind of finds the route. I used to go to massages like every month, you know, do they help? Like, is there a purpose to go like to a deep tissue massage or is that kind of semi efficient? Deep tissue, deep Deep tissue massage and massage in general, there, there is always a, a benefit to some degree of physical touch. Yep. Uh, we are human beings that, you know, benefit from physical touch, mm -hmm. uh, tactile by nature. But it, again, it depends on what it is that you're, you, you think is the purpose of the massage and what you think is being achieved. Uh, the reality is very different from, uh, from what you may think is the case. Yeah. So sometimes people, it's, it's an injury which requires specific uh, focused work. 
Yeah. But then they go to a generic masseuse. Yeah. Masseur. And that doesn't help, especially if the uh, masseuse or masseur is not trained in the sport, let alone um, the anatomy and physiology, which the level that's needed to actually make a Yeah, difference. it's not really like you shouldn't go for massages when you're, you're injured. I mean, that that's, should be pretty logical because it's more... I mean, I've treated it more like a kind of, if you are feeling some slight stiffness in the back, that can help, like relieve some of that. Generally, it will come back, but then at least, you know, you got some relief and it's also kind of a nice relaxation. So it's partly that, but to see it as, as something that will treat an injury is, is probably not so wise, right? You need to uh, address each injury kind of, I guess, individually, right? Mm. And you have to accept that uh, the, the, one of the things you have to accept that you are injured. Yeah. Um, Which is tough. Yeah, most people don't want to accept that. It's not just that, you know, I need my back rubbed. Mm. I have to accept that something I've done in the sport that I love mm. has caused an injury. Maybe it's my negligence to address it when it should have been addressed. But that's the first thing is acceptance. It's an injury. It needs to be treated as such. Yeah. Not just rubbed in a, in a spa parlor. Uh, a spa parlor. Does it help to, to rest and, uh, you know, where does rest come into this uh, treatment? Rest is important, um, at least to rethink why something happened. But um, just complete sedentary rest without doing anything is also, again, an extreme. And you never want to be at extremes. You always want to be balanced. Yeah. So not forget it play through it, going to keep playing every week. That's not good. That's an extreme. And then also the other end of the spectrum, which is just completely doing nothing, sitting on a couch with some digestive biscuits and a, a cup of tea. No, <laughs> Equally not, not good. Heal anything. No, I think you really need, like, I mean, I, the way I've tried to approach it now is to, you know, you have an injury. Uh, let's say you have some problems with the knee or something, then like strengthening the body around the knee is generally a good idea, you know? So like, actually your support system. Mm. Um, am I approaching it correctly or should I, you know, yes. eat more biscuits? <laughs> no. Um, the, the, approaching it that way is, is the best way to uh, sometimes and often, it's not necessarily the area that's the problem where the pain is, mm. Often it's other areas which have been neglected, yeah. which then result in an area uh, dysfunctioning. Yeah. So it's always good to look at the peripheral regions uh, above and below the area that's affected. Yeah, that's that's good. No, it's something I because I, when I did suffer a bit from tennis elbow, I um, used this flex bar, this kind of like tool that you bend, and it I mean it trains the the forearms or the muscles around there and the wrists, but it doesn't seem to really relieve that because the, some of the tension is there and then you're strengthening that part. So it just seemed to work. Although it's not like probably a you know, blanket solution, but it does at least something better than doing nothing, you know, yeah, trying to, to use it. Um, and what's the difference, uh, golfers and tennis elbow? Like where's, what's, what's the difference and why? So the difference between golfers and tennis elbow is the locations of the inflammation. Ah, okay. So golfers elbow is on the inside of the arm. Uh, when your palm is facing the ceiling, it's on the inside of the elbow. Mm -hmm. So here. Yes. And tennis elbow is on the outside ah. of the of the of the. And it's the based elbow. on the movement, like the golf swing being quite different. I mean, not super different, but it's more like this. Last time you said something interesting about tennis elbow coming 
kind of a lot from the backhand swing. Like that's a very common contributor to tennis elbow because yes. of this. Yes. So the backhand swing, again, going from the middle of the body to outside, um, often the really it's, it's your body trying to prevent the breaking of the wrist, the flexing of the wrist. Mm. So the muscles that uh, are involved in extending the wrist are located and insert into the outside of your elbow. So when you hit a ball backhand, the really the ball's trying to bend and the racket's trying to bend your wrist yeah. and your extensor muscles. Not a very natural, no. no. Uh, and your extensor muscles are trying to do the opposite, to yeah. keep the wrist straight. So that's why they get overstrained and they get mm. inflamed, especially with repetitive movements. Yeah. And of, the, of course, the, the contrary for the, the swing of, of a golfer. Yeah. And I'm also noticing that some players that use quite extreme grips and uh, then tries to kind of like maneuvers the wrist in a strange way that at least it doesn't seem a hundred percent logical way that they more easily get like maybe wrist injury i mean it depending a little bit on how much flow you have in your mm. stroke right i would i be right in thinking so yes so uh, as you said the the way the technique is very important the more the wrist moves the more anything moves to be honest is uh whether that's an engine or, or the physical being mm -hmm. is prone to injuries. Yeah. So that's why stability uh, is the best when you're hitting a stroke. And that's, you know, really ideally in squash, you shouldn't be moving. You no. should reach the point and then stabilize. swing through, exactly yeah. stabilize the whole body, then swing, swing, swing through. Yeah. Accidents happen when you're not really prepared for a shot. Yeah, you're off you're balance, rushing. Yeah, you're rushing. And you're not ergonomically well placed. I, exactly. I think that it's the same in tennis. Like I, something I noticed, and you learn it the hard way, is that you, the better you move on the tennis court, the more time you have on each stroke, and also the the easier it is to kind of create a, po a proper stroke, right? Because otherwise, if you're like running and you're arming a lot, you're you're kind of losing balance. You're gonna miss hit. But when you have like that solid foundation, you're bending your knees. You're in place. It's so much easier to play. And that's what the pros do much better than the happy amateurs is that they they are always in the correct place. So that's then their stroke comes more naturally than for us. Who maybe has to muscle it a little bit more or okay. stuff like that. Exactly. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Amos. I really enjoy talking to you. And uh, I think we should order some food now and uh, yeah, talk about other stuff. But uh, I hope you like listening to this. And uh, if you're in Malta and you need help for an injury, uh, this is the guy, Amos Simon. Uh, he has helped me a lot and I will keep seeking his help when I get injured because I guess it's a question of time, turning 40 in three weeks. So yeah, thanks, Amos. Pleasure, pleasure.